Welcome to episode one of Unwrapped, the human behind the profile. Today, our special guest is Dr. Mark Davies. Miranda, over to you. Hi, Mark. Hi. How are you doing? Good, thanks. You? Yeah, really good. So really happy to have you with us and um, looking forward to the next hour or so and learning more about you and the uh, the person behind the profile, let's say. <laughs> thanks for having me. Cool. So I guess it's quite a big sort of opening question, but, you know, talk to me a bit about purpose, what purpose means for you, where you kind of feel you are in relation to really finding and living in terms of your true purpose. Um, so I've got a bit of a weird, unusual connection to all that. So I think purpose is something that kind of reveals itself over time for a lot of people. Some people get like a a eureka moment or something, but for me it was like a like a struggle, like a real struggle. Um, I'll take you to a point where, just to kind of illustrate it. So um, I was 19 years old and I'd kind of fallen in with a bit of a bad crowd. And we were outside this warehouse and I had this pair of bolt cutters um, <clears throat> and we were gonna go in and do over this warehouse basically. And they're kind of like Robin Hood characters. We were gonna kind of like, you know, steal a load of booze and have a massive party and stuff, but it still wasn't great. Um, and I kind of looked at these pair of bolt cutters in my hand and I was like, what the fuck am I doing? <laughs> and at that moment I said, I, I put them down. I said, I'm walking away. I said to my friends, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna go. To, so I had no qualifications. I had three GCSEs at this point. Um, I'll explain that in a minute. Um, and then I said to my friends, I'm gonna go and get a PhD in anthropology. And they were like, what? They didn't even know what anthropology was. And I got a lot of I got a lot of shit for this. And I walked away and it was the best thing that I ever did because like years later, so months later, they um they all ended up in up inside. Um so the per that that was like that moment where you're like, Jesus. So to, to go right back, like I was, my parents were in the RAF, so we travelled around a lot. And then um, I ended up in a really horrendous boarding school, like not posh. It was like a real, let's just say there, there were teachers there that shouldn't have been in charge of children. Yeah. Like, let's call it that. Um, it, was, um, it was basically a, a boarding school that was funded by the um, armed forces. So my parents at the time were in the, in the RAF and they thought they might be moving around a lot. So people often kind of put their kids in these boarding schools so the kids weren't being uprooted when people were getting posted every kind of couple of years or even quicker. Um, so I got put in this boarding school, very beautiful, in a very beautiful town by the sea. Um, wanted to go there um, when I, because a few of my friends were there. But the, the actual, the reality of it, and it's, it's, it's interesting, like there's a Facebook group of this school now and there's kids on there that oh it was amazing it was like loved it best years of my life um but for a lot of kids me including um it was a story of like uh emotional abuse physical abuse beating um uh sexual abuse for some people um yeah me included to a point actually just yeah me included fuck it <laughs> and 
Um, it, so yeah, that's what I meant by these teachers. Um, and it was horrendous. Like my parents had, it was, it was like a Ken Loach movie. I mean, like kids would get beaten for no reason or for like this, the, the most ridiculous reasons. Like I remember once um, uh, somebody said that I'd used the word Wally uh, somebody obviously Wally being a horrendous swear word <laughs> this is like 1985 1984 um, and as a result of that the teacher the headmaster at the time stormed into the bedroom at uh, I don't know must have been like it was late at night woke everybody up yanked me out of bed and beat the crap out of me with a gym shoe um, like I was 10 you know um, there's other stories as well like I don't want to go into too much detail of the other stuff but And the other thing as well is like a lot of these behaviours kind of replicate. Um, So I had quite, there's a couple of times I remember seeing kids doing things to each other that kids at that age wouldn't know about unless they'd experienced it. Um, And so that sort of sets you up with this. When I left that school, I mean, you know, that we're talking about purpose and stuff. That set me up with this thing of, you know, teachers are dangerous, can't be trusted, education is... Um, it's the school environment isn't safe. Um, <laughs> unfortunately for me, I went to a secondary school um, after that, and <clears throat> one of in my first year, having gone from this place to this new school, had another teacher there who was like um, very bullying. And I was thinking about this the other day. It's like you know, like kids will be like you know. Um, oh, that teacher's got it in for me. And a lot of grown-ups will be like, yeah, you know, you've obviously asked for it. Like, as an adult now, I will stand by the words, he absolutely did. Um, and like, I remember my granddad died when I was, I think I was 11 years old. And this was in the 80s when it took a week to bury somebody as opposed to like, you know, a month. Um, yeah. And we went away up to the northeast of England to, for the funeral and stuff. And I came back and like, I so nearly, I remember come back into the math class, maths class. I remember coming back into maths class and the teacher said, where have you been? And I was like, my granddad's funeral, he just had a likely story. And I literally had my hand back to smack him on. <laughs> and I looked up and my friend just like shook his head and said, just don't do it. Um, and you know, I was 11 years old. But so, yeah, I think it's um, that there's, that there's, ama- there's amazing teachers as well. But um, yeah, there's... There's some teachers that I think should have, shouldn't be in those jobs. <laughs> but I think schools have come on so far. I mean, my kids go to a school and they're amazing, you know, primary school. And I'm, I'm so, I mean, my, my oldest, he's the age I was when I was at this boarding school. I look at him and I just think, I can't believe the shit that happened to me happened to me when I was your age. Because if any if anybody touched the hair on his head like the way they did me, I would absolutely murder them. <laughs> it's like, and it's um. But the school that they go to, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'll, I'm always conscious that I'm not laying it on too thick with them when I see them at parents' evenings and stuff. But you know, the teachers are amazing. The energy they have, the culture that exists in that school is incredible. Um, and it, the, the you know, it's a sign of how far things have come along like the school that I went to that was on the cusp I think of you know when I talk about it it's, it's like I'm talking about some kind of shit show from the 80s from the 50s or some kind of Ken Loach movie um and it's 
it does feel so dated, the idea of like corporal punishment in a school, whereas, and how things have changed to now within schools. Um, and rightly so. I mean, the, the thing that I take um, take comfort in is that stuff has happened to make all that change. And, you know, I went down the route of looking at making a complaint, but the school shut, um, the guy who um, who was abusive to me, I believe, has died. And it's like, you know, I've kind of made my peace with it. <laughs> So that set me up with a really bad relationship with education. Didn't trust teachers, didn't like them. School was dangerous. And so when, when I left and went to secondary school, like the teachers were always like, you have potential, but I never kind of realised it. Um, never did anything with it. I was a bit of a rebel. Um, so that meant when I left school, I didn't have any opportunities. But I loved creative stuff. I loved photography. I loved film. I loved, because um, I, I, I lived in Cyprus as a kid and I'd already experienced kind of, you know, different cultures and different people from like living in London and things and on the outskirts of London. Um, and it was, I, I just loved people and I loved creativity. I loved film. I loved photography. I loved documentaries, but every door was shut. Like I remember when I was 18, six, like 17, 18, writing off to, to different places all the time, really driven. Yeah. But it was just like walls. Like you don't have a degree, you don't have A-levels like we're not going to give you a chance and that's when I was like there were these two women um in my village little town where I lived and around that age they were both like mums um went to university to do an access course as mature students um and then went to went to university and they did anthropology and I was like and a few years a few years before then I'd seen these amazing documentaries on tv called uh, under the sun and it was that, that introduced me to anthropology, like the study of different tribes, cultures, communities around the world. Yeah. Um, and I was like blown away. I was like, I want to do that. And I couldn't. And yeah. I, I just thought, and then so when these two ladies were, um, they were like role models for me and they really supported me. Like they really, they lent me books and kind of, I felt like it was possible. So I had that sort of mentorship there, which... I lacked like I, you know, as a like my friends were awesome, like not like not the ones that I kind of, but they, they were still awesome. Do you know what I mean? They were, they were, they were. Um, but like you know, they're all mechanics and tradespeople, and I was always dreaming and like um, you know, wanting to have deeper, meaningful discussions, and we, we weren't really cut of the same cloth. Um, but you know, they were all incredibly talented craftsmen, and you know. Uh, tradespeople and stuff was awesome um and so suddenly I had like people I had a couple of people who just kind of like made me know sort of pointed and say this is possible so to cut a long story short I ended up doing um an access course that I got through with the skin of my teeth because I suck at maths and I had this amazing so I was acing all of my all of my all of my um subjects apart from maths and yeah a teacher went right out of her way because she knew that I would fail. I wouldn't go to university if I didn't get maths. You don't, there's no maths in anthropology, right? <laughs> and she kind of took that view. She was incredible. She like if if she hadn't taken that rebellious approach that she did with me, that reactive, responsive approach with me, I wouldn't have got anywhere. Um, I'd still be working in contact centres. Um, and don't get me wrong, that's like I, I I base so much of strengths that I picked up in business yeah. from my experience in the contact center mm -hmm. um, 
it's amazing work, amazing people. The work can be quite tricky sometimes. The work can be quite demanding, but like it taught me about customer care that I've like set me up for business. For sure. I think, yeah, it was the most valuable experience I think I ever had working in that contact centre. Um, but I still would have been back there and I wanted to do other things. Um, so, so I ended up doing an access course. I ended up doing an undergraduate degree I ended up doing my master's and then I was lucky enough to get funded for a PhD. Um, all the while imposter syndrome through the whole thing <laughs> because like I went through the back door and it was like, um, you know, I shouldn't be here. People would even challenge me because like my English wasn't great. My English language wasn't great in my undergrad. And like people would sort of like, are oh, you stupid? You don't know this word. You don't know that word. And obviously you just kind of internalize it i remember yeah. this guy said to me if you don't know what the word ostentatious means then you shouldn't be enrolled in a university degree program wow and i was like okay that's quite elitist um i know what ostentatious means now <laughs> but <laughs> so i um so i went through that whole journey and then when my ph when i got my phd there was all these cuts in academia and um, my my wife then ex-wife still really good friends cool and was heavily pregnant with our first child and i started applying for jobs like re there weren't were no research jobs there was nothing so i started applying for film jobs video jobs because my background was like visual anthropology and documentary and so visual yeah. anthropology is a bit like how tribes cultures societies represent themselves visually through like tattoos architecture film photography art you know all that stuff but also how we explore it visually through cameras and photography multimedia kind of thing um so I had experience couldn't get any jobs and you know, my wife was heavily pregnant working in Cineworld um and I couldn't get a job and then I applied for income support and I was even downgrading my CV it took all, all those like, 10 years it took me to get to that point and I started taking everything off to apply for jobs in factories and I couldn't get those jobs because they were like you seem too bright to work here I was like mate I don't give a shit I just want some money <laughs> um and then and then I applied for income support and I got turned down for that. And wow. I didn't even know you could get turned down for it. I remember <laughs> I was on the phone and she was like, we can't support you in any way. And I remember literally just crying down the phone. Just like nothing, I, I could do nothing after all this, these 10 years. And my wife was like literally waddling around with a yeah. <laughs> massive baby in her tummy and it's like going to Cineworld. Um, and then we got, we had a little windfall so I could set up a business and then it kind of, went from there to go back to your original question <laughs> was the purpose for me has always been about storytelling has always been about people it's always been about you know I mean my, my view in life is it's gonna sound like a proper hippie thing but love and respect everybody and they can choose whether or not to keep that as opposed to respect has to be earned I think that's all bollocks you know keep it an open book for everybody and then they can choose what they do from there um, and I think that's really sort of that approach that I've had to set me up. But it was all about, you know, giving people like video. People just think, oh, it's a video. It's like, you know, a photograph. It's um, but it's basically giving people a voice. It's mm -hmm. a celebration of something or an exploration of something. It's representation. Yeah. And people don't see it like people don't really see it like that. They just see it as a video. Um, so we were doing a lot of work with charities. When I, my business started to pick up, thanks to um, an amazing guy who I'm kind of really, um, what's the word? I'm jumping for, 
I'm really jumping forward here, but um, a few years, but I met this guy who basically opened doors for me. I, I joke him and uh, Martin Baker from yeah. uh, Charity Learning Consortium and Liggy Webb. Um, the two of them just dropped into my life a very, very difficult time and opened doors for me, um, which had a profound impact on what I was doing. And so we, we specialise in videos for learning and development. Um, and with that, we were doing loads of work with charities. And I was all about storytelling and, you know, learning aspects and giving people a voice that wouldn't necessarily have a voice um, ordinarily and passing it around. And it's like, I'll, I'll never forget where that purpose really came to a fore. It's probably like one of, like I've been all over the world, met amazing people. I've filmed prime ministers, rock stars. Like, I don't really give a shit about them. I give a shit about the people in the in the charities and the organizations and the businesses and the um who, who aren't even you know th- th- their service users for me they're like the the rock stars the celebrities yeah. of life you know um i'm really not bothered about famous people don't it's all nice to meet like you know people you admire and stuff but i admire the people that we work with more um and i remember in terms of that purpose being like, wow, like I've always been quite proud of what we do. I've always been proud of the energy that we bring to the sets and like when we're filming and having a laugh with people and being able to think into work and stuff. Cause that was all about, you know, giving people, if, if people are chilled on camera and they're having fun, you're going to get more out of them. It's going to be a nicer experience. Yeah. But I remember working for this amazing charity, Brandon Trust, who do this, um, they, they support people with learning disabilities. Um, and they'd given us this amazing documentary that we shot um, over the space of like two or three weeks. And they were screening it in a cinema. And um, it was like, to this day, it remains one of my favorite projects I've ever done. And um, the cool thing was that I got to the cinema by steam train because I was filming on another, I was filming for an, another company and I was literally filming on this steam train. It was like so rock and roll, just turning up to, to turning up to, 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 to Devon in this, in this steam train. Um, that, that was my mode of transport there. But in the cinema, like it was like the families, the people that were being supported, um, the, the people working for the charity, they were all in the cinema. And like, you know, when you've got a video being, that you've shot being shown on the big screen. I mean, mm. I'm not, that's fucking cool. Because <laughs> yeah. it's not going to happen any other time, probably. And the amount of people that were crying in the cinema. Yeah. And like, I always kind of belittle myself in a way I'll say, you know, the story comes from the people in front of you. But actually, you know, that, and I really believe that. But I do know also it's about your choice of music, the edits, the nuances, the structure, all that kind of stuff that brings that up. Yeah. I've had it a few times when 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 you make a film and that film is just showing people what they know day in, day out. The families, the people that are being supported, the the workers, they experience that. They experience the highs and lows of working with people with learning disabilities and the challenges that they face and the pride. And, you know, it's, it's incredible. Um. But when they start crying, it's because they, they never cry. And, you know, a lot of support workers rarely will, will really kind of like go home in tears and stuff. They just get on with it, you know. It's not to say they're not affected by it, but they get on with it. And when you hold, and w- when you shoot a video, it basically holds a mirror up to the organisation, to them, to what they do, and they see it in yeah. a different way. And 
for me that absolutely encapsulated like the purpose of what I do of like that journey that I've been on um kind of you know through all of the self-doubt through all of through, through, through everything to kind of create help people create stories give them voice um for stuff that wouldn't ordinarily happen but do it in a really powerful way and you know a lot, a lot of our work can be very dry corporate talking head stuff but even that it's like bringing an experience to people um understanding that people are putting themselves in a vulnerable situation when they're going in front of the camera and yeah. helping with that i mean we even do these little one take wonder badges like i'm a sea learning one take wonder that people get when they do a good, when, when, they, when they're on camera and it's like it turns people into children it's like oh my god this is amazing i'll never forget the first time i used that was we did a documentary in New York for Barclays and we worked with this head of compliance and he came in. I'd literally just dropped about 250 quid on these badges. This guy comes in, he's like, I don't have time for this. I've got really, you know, he's really bulldoggy. And I was like, oh, fuck, he's going to give him this badge. And he did an amazing job. And I think he, I thought he's going to think I'm a right dickhead. And, I gave him, and he just literally turned into a puppy. He was like, oh, my God, this is the most amazing thing ever. Yeah. And it's like, I think that's what the purpose is. It's like videos a celebration giving you know or an exploration but usually a celebration of like this is worth recording this is worth putting out there this is worth investing time money effort into um and just doing it in a way that kind of hits people in the head and the heart the most powerful video that you can do gets people in the head and the heart at the same time yeah and because then they're learning but they're going away with like you put the feels on them they're kind of you know they're feeling something did I just talk bollocks for like ages? No, you didn't at all. And it's it's kind of, I mean, listen, it's a beautiful thing. So I got so many things from there. Um, it's almost a purpose within a purpose. So yeah. there's peace around what you want to spend your time doing. But yeah. actually, the next layer was what I heard was saying, actually, where I get most joy in terms of the, the the building of the story and the bringing that to life is in the charitable work, the organisations that you've worked with. So I see that as sort of almost purpose within purpose. So what you what you do on a day to day basis, but also in terms of the environment in which you do it. Yeah, I don't think of it like that. That's cool. Yeah. So it's, I think it's two. And for me, I, I kind of guess I have a question. So when, when we started with the question around purpose, you said something to the effect of, you know, most people talk about an epiphany moment and it wasn't that for me. It was a journey and, you know, the challenge and, and so on. But actually, there was an epiphany moment when yeah. you were there with the bolt cutters. Yeah. So it wasn't necessarily, you know, a full immediate 100% sense of your purpose it almost felt like what you were clear about was what you were doing there in that moment was not it yeah uh, do you know what it's interesting like so a uh, really cool woman who used to work with me um she explained something she, she we were talking about feminism about how you know the, the little microaggressions that people have where you're being kind of poked yeah and, you're poked and poked and poked and it starts off it's just like a little poke but gradually it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and then it's turning into a bruise and then it's like you're really yeah. noticing it and I think um you know obviously I'm not making a, a connection between feminism and my journey like yeah. I'm a, you know um but what, what I mean is that that metaphor 
I think is so true for lots of things where you get to that point where you're pushed to like I really need to make a change I really need to do something because for me it was like the poking of I'm not doing what I need to do I'm not living up to my ex to, to my to my potential I'm not if I if I don't do something now I am going to end up in a job that you know cool people you know and honest work but not for me yeah. um, and like eventually I think there is that dawn of realising just in that moment where it's just like this could go it's like sliding doors you know that sliding doors moment my whole life has been I think most people have had sliding doors moments where it's like Jesus if I did that then yeah. this would have happened and well I was going to ask you do you ever think about that that night with the bolt cutters if you'd made a different decision what what your life do you do you ever spend time thinking about what it might have been like when I have done I got I would have ended up inside I'm sure of it and like the irony is that my, my dad was a copper and my mum was a social worker at the time <laughs> <laughs> it's like you know I don't think I can get arrested now because I didn't actually do anything <laughs> uh, I can't get grounded either by my parents um they know about all this anyway but it's like um yeah like but it the whole thing comes down to people sharing their stories about what they're doing. Yeah. Like, um, what, what, what I didn't talk about before was, and I, again, this sets me up as a bit with a bit of a different way was my purpose, my original purpose in life with the filming, with the video was a project I had called life booth, which was, so my PhD was all about family photos, identity, relationships, change, that kind of thing. Mm. Um, and then, what what inspired that and where I was going with it in terms of the wider thing was I'd go out with my camera and film your granny or your granddad talking about their, their lives and photographs would come up and stuff like this marketing perspective it was a nightmare because people love the idea of it but there's this weird cultural stuff that it's the whole podcast in its own right book even about how they wouldn't engage with it because of like cultures and attitudes around mortality in this country which is not healthy um, yeah. and it's um so that was what I was trying to do and it didn't quite work so I ended up putting my video skills into um into more corporate well not corporate more you know commercial work yeah. um but I brought all of that research insight social stuff from anthropology into my work um yeah. and then I think that kind of set me up there and yeah so so where I'm going with that is like you know those stories storytelling is like right at the heart of what we do and I think it's the core like laws culture um every every single thing without without storytelling we would yeah. not exist as a species we would not have got to where we, we would exist as a species we wouldn't get to where we were as a species we would have evolved some people yeah. might say that's a bad thing but it's through sharing and now one of the things I found through the pandemic is one of the things I found through the, the pandemic is um, the power of storytelling for people just sharing where they're at um, mm. and you know what's working for them what's not working for them I think that's resulted in bad things happening on online as well but ultimately it's so powerful um, so I think so I think within the during the pandemic we've seen stories kind of go um go to this like, whole other level where it's like a shared thing everybody's kind of in we're all in the same boat but in different 
different experiences, but it affects everybody. And I've seen myself, you know, storytelling can sometimes take a lot of, and I see this with my with my customers and the people that we work with, like to tell a story, to go inside yourself, actually puts yourself in a very vulnerable situation. It takes courage, I think. I've done that recently. I was really touched by like how people responded to it. And I've seen other people do it as well. And it's like, you know, the whole mental health conversations around mental health that was never discussed before. And now I see people popping up all the time saying, yeah, do you know what this impacts me? Tell their story. The marginalized, the marginalized um, communities and people that we've worked with and you know, around um, equity, diversity, inclusion projects. We've, I've had loads of stories about this and it's completely changed my understanding and experience and view of like racism, gender bias, um, sexuality, disability that opened a window just purely being filmed on 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 zoom calls and things um not great quality video obviously because remote remote working and stuff but the story is absolutely everything and that is how purpose gets transmitted that's how we get we inspire people that's where people get their um yeah where they're inspired and they think well that person i mean one of the classic things is talking about purpose has been that i've heard a lot of is like people of color um talking about you know there's no asian role models british asian role models on tv for me there's no um black brown whatever your favorite term is for that um around um if there's no role models there for me or disability or gender fluidity there's no no role models for for people that you know identify like that but then when when a story does come out it's like it points a big a big flag a big arrow to say you can do this and yeah. so many people have spoken about the lack of story the lack of inspiration that they've had in the media um which i think is now changing but the beauty of it is like i think um media has become way more egalitarian than it was before it's there's less with, with social media youtube all this kind of stuff yeah. you don't need to sign off from from the bbc or channel four like the publishing is like way more prolific from from anybody and everybody can get their story and their voice out there and we all have cameras and like it's almost like this revolution yeah and which is all about you know i know there's like how-to videos and stuff like that but the storytelling aspect of that's huge and that is i really believe that that's how purpose um can become infectious in a, in a cool way and people can identify and relate to it it's interesting you you know you touched on um the sort of over the last sort of 12 months and whilst we've been largely in lockdown and it's definitely one of the things when when we launched this series we're saying we definitely have seen in that time more not necessarily under the banner of stories but more sharing right and around topics that literally a year ago would have been taboo. So particularly, again, you know, if you look at the history of uh, the sense of freedom, perhaps men felt in terms of talking about their mental health, particularly, yeah. it definitely feels like there's been a seismic shift in that. Is that something you've you've seen? Yeah, definitely. Um, I've seen that. And I think understanding, like, do you, know, do you know what? <laughs> it's like this is this is this is the crazy thing, like around awareness and people standing up 
I think it took a pandemic to ignite mm-hmm. Black Lives Matter at a whole new level. Sarah, Sarah Everard murder and everything that came from that. Um, the hashtag Me Too movement, like all of this stuff just like went right to the fore. Um, disability, still kind of not given that that exposure that it should do. Um, I believe strongly about that. But everything came to the fore because of the storytelling and everything. Um, and there's that intensity, all of these things being pushed to the fore amidst a very kind of intense time where I think barriers came down around everybody, but also people were like, this is enough. And people were willing to kind of, their purpose was ignited. And yeah. you, then you saw society get like shredded apart from that, which I think says so much around, you know, yeah, you know, protests during the pandemic. Is that good or bad? You know, I, 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 I'm, that, that's a whole other conversation. But that, what a lot of people who were kind of against protesters and like statues being toppled and stuff like that, what they realised is that was a massive catalyst that has been building over decades, over generations. And then people's purpose was like, we've had enough of this. And then the stories come through and like people on social media sharing stuff and th- that vulnerability. And actually, you know, you were talking about, you know, men. Um, and I think male culture is actually the root cause of so many problems. Toxic max- masculinity, burying stuff. But it goes beyond that because it's about how that toxic masculinity feeds the stuff around um, the oppression of women and how the language around that you know i've got a phd in anthropology i've been studying tribes cultures around mm. the world i've i've seen experienced difference and in, in life and i've always you know i love that i celebrate that sort of stuff um and then i thought i was pretty switched on i thought i was pretty kind of you know i get this no i'm pretty pc not like overly pc to the point where it becomes like clinical but you know um that was that was me and then when you start to see these stories, and especially the women's thing, because I'm not going to lie, you know, the, the, the feminist stuff that I saw coming up, I was like, oh, my God, I didn't even think about that, yeah. about the language. Um, like tiny language things that you're like, geez. And I, I've kind of like, you know, reflected and ad- addressed that. But again, that has come through stories. That has come through people saying this isn't right. That has come from people sharing their experiences. Um, and I think that... I think we're at a time now whilst yeah it's scary yeah it's like um you know a very anxious uncertain time but going beyond that I think what we're seeing is like the birth of so much new purpose you can see it everywhere even how people do business are we going to go back and populate offices like you know battery farms are we all going to work from home am I going to be traveling for like two hours for this one hour meeting you know everything's been kind of condensed right to the core of what people stand for politically personally um from an organizational perspective everything and I think it's kind of solidified purpose in a massive way um which I think creates incredible opportunities for the future so it's um it's really interesting the, the the stuff that you talk about in terms of how how the world has changed um in the in particularly in the last year we've we kind of we've spent some time recently um as a business really 
looking at um, the last 12 months and getting really clear about some of the stuff we want to hang on to. So some of things that maybe felt um, sort of uh, forced on us at one point, um, I think, um, you know, for many people, just not doing the daily commute gave them two hours back in their day. Yeah. You know, so as they may work as many hours at their desk every day, but they've gained. And for some, it simply means being able to have breakfast with their their kids every day and being able to have dinner every day. And so we, we, we're spending some time thinking about the things we want to actually hang up, hang on to. And part of the reason that it felt like now was the time for this series was we don't want to go back to a world where people feel the need to, um, you know, almost put that mask on and can, and go out to the world and pretend like everything's okay. When we've seen that shift where it's never been more okay to not be okay. Yeah. Um, and, the, you know, the same, the comfort in terms of that dialogue plays out to, to your earlier point, whether it's around inclusivity whether it's around mental health, whether it's around people feeling more able to say, actually, whilst I might generally look like I've got my shit together, you know, balancing homeschooling or trying to work from home and animals and whatever else is going on, yeah. I'm struggling. Um, and we're really committed to kind of hanging on to that. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And do you know what? Like, it might sound a bit controversial to some people, because um, I'm generalising around masculine and feminine energies. So going to sound like a bit of a hippie. I think um, business, like attitudes to business has, have been driven by a very masculine, toxic masculine energy. It's like, and it, it's come down, it's changed over time. And I think that's happened because we've seen more women occupying cool spaces in business. Now, I, I'm, I'm generalising a lot here. I'm not saying that all blokes are walking around like proper alpha and everything like that. And I'm not saying that there is no woman that's that there's no women out there who kind of walk around and can be quite alpha as well. Yeah. But what I'm saying, what I'm saying is that there's um, the, the the culture. I can I can see it. You can, you can see it. Like how cultures change. How you know if you go back, kind of like I mean I remember I had my first panic attack when I was 21 years old. It was at night time in the summer and just suddenly I felt like I couldn't breathe. And um, ironically, I live right next door to a hospital. <laughs> so I was kind of like walked over to the hospital, like properly freaking out. Um, and they did their usual thing and they just said, you know, it's probably anxiety. Um, so I went the following day, I went to I, I took the next day off. And the day after that, I was working telesales at the time, um, ringing up people trying to sell telephone systems. Um, I sucked at it. <laughs> but I went in and the uh, my manager, I told him I'd had a panic attack. And this is the culture, right? So he had me pinned, he pinned me up against the wall, grabbing me by the scruff of my neck, screaming at me um, that I'm a pussy. If I ever do that again, I'm out of a job, all this kind of stuff. Um, and <laughs> you look back now and you're like, Jesus. But that was the kind of that toxic masculine culture in that sales office. Um I look back now, it's like crikey, it's like it was, yeah, horrendous. From there it sort of that was the the first one and then from there it kind of I started to develop a 
fear of like um, either. I had claustrophobia, and I, I know for sure that this all stems back to boarding school stuff. Um, but there is, but it's a lovely mix of agoraphobia and claustrophobia of like control of not feeling safe would fire it up um and it will come and go so like sometimes it will be a few you know i'm gonna have a an attack for a couple of years and then it'll plague me for like a month two months three months i'm getting a lot better at it now i've done a lot of mindfulness stuff had some therapy um kind of worked through things like for, for anybody listening to this um like i cannot i cannot emphasize enough if anybody's going through this or know somebody that's going through it first of all talking therapies are massively helpful but also there's a book called the the anxious truth by drew lynn salato or something but it's called the anxious truth it's all about exposure therapy because like the biggest thing around panic attack is avoidance like you won't you, you'll avoid the stuff that that creates it. And a panic attack is literally fear of how you're going to feel in a moment. You're not going to die. It's not going to kill you. I've been there. I've like, you know, been shy of like calling an ambulance, literally think I was going to die at any minute because I like had like a ping in my chest that I thought was a heart attack or something. Um, and it takes in, you, you're constantly arguing with this when you're in the middle of a panic attack, it's like, you're going to die, but there's like, that's the fight or flight shit happening. But there's also the logic of like you're having a panic attack and if you're caught in that middle space it's actually worse because you feel like you're going mad um so the anxious truth and there's a really good facebook group as well around it um i think it's just called the anxious truth forum if you google the anxious truth you find an amazing supportive community and it's basically just move towards the thing i i really believe it's like true of anything if you have a problem in life don't run away from it move towards it tackle it head on like and that kind of feeds into the stuff that we were talking about before you know face those fears down because with that exposure therapy it gradually reduces it you know and when you realize that it's the fear of feeling a particular way in a particular situation and it's not easy but if you go through that then you can kind of overcome it so I've been on a journey of talking therapies and that which is helping I mean is an example of how bad it got like it's really reared its head it was rearing its head pre-lockdown lockdown really kicked off big time i think with so many people like i couldn't walk across a field because my mind was telling me stories that i was going to die in the middle of that field and i could see it like a movie playing so it's like well i'm not going to go and then you end up the irony is my mind's health anxiety so am i going to have a heart attack am i going to st- stop breathing there's a social anxiety around about like i've had panic attacks in the middle of a street before once um and then a lovely lady came up i still remember her name her name was selpy and i always wished i could find her just to say thank you and i never could um and she stopped me in the street and said are you okay and i literally just burst out crying and it went and it's like um it's yeah when it happens it's just so overwhelming and I think it's just accepting that that's the way it is. And then eventually, if you can face up to it and realise it, because it's an illusion, all it is is an illusion. It's the hardest. And some people are offended by that. Some people who get anxiety are offended. This isn't an illusion. It wouldn't be impacting me this way. It's a fucking illusion. It's your mind telling stories about what's about to happen that has no basis of reality other than fear. You look at the, the difference between that yeah. and where we are now, yeah. And 
it's because there's a more feminine energy has come into business I feel like I'm setting myself myself up for a load of like I think I'm talking very general terms I think you know do you see where I'm coming from with this it's like I, I really do believe it and I think it's because you know it's no longer the alpha males that are kind of like controlling I mean yeah you could argue there is a lot of that still going on but I think business has become more liberal it's become more chilled it's become more open it's become like people get the impact of mental health I think the sad thing is I think historically I think sometimes it's like oh shit this is going to impact our profit levels and stuff if we don't do something about it I think that's been the driver for a lot of people but I think so there's the flip side of it it's becoming more human I mean I've worked with loads of organizations where they've brought the human aspect into you know what they do to soften it um to soften it down so I'm generally talking about like the masculine and feminine energies with that but it's something I kind of believe in um I think you're right though but in the sense and I understand the use of those terms but I think that those terms come because historically that was the demarcation you know mm-hmm. it was you know a woman has a, is having a difficult time at work and she will cry and you know and and I, I grew up in a house, actually, my um, my parents, where my dad, I'm, I'm, I'm the oldest, I have two younger brothers, and my dad has only been incredibly supportive and told me all my life, I can do anything that I want to do. We actually didn't grow up with uh, sort of hardcore gender norms in our household. Mm. However, there was absolutely a difference when it came to the displaying of emotion, and that was completely acceptable from me but yeah my my dad would have my brothers on the rugby pitch and you know they would uh, you know they were playing rugby when they were like five six seven they get injured they cry and he would be right you're fine it's only a cut you know get on with it whereas if I fell off my bike and grazed my knee and cried it's oh come and sit on my lap and have a cuddle so and that's not because he he's you know he's not a misogynist in in, in any shape or form but that was kind of of its time they were talking about the 70s here so i think that created what we still refer to almost at times in terms of sort of the gender norms in terms of expectation though Definitely. I mean, do you know what? It's funny. I'm, I'm, I've, I've always been an open book about stuff. And it's like last Saturday, for the first time, I cried in front of my kids, eight and ten, uh, a girl and a boy. And like just stuff got too much. Like and it was like I just ended up crying in front of them. And they, they were amazing. My, my kids, my, my, you know, my kids have grown up to in an amazing family. They live, live in two different houses. Um, their mum's awesome. My partner's awesome. My parents are awesome um and like we've all got a very liberal chilled balanced view about you know we, we all understand about gender yeah things, and we don't want to put that we don't i don't want our kids growing up but as a result of that my little boy i mean they're both my, both my kids are awesome my little boy is fully aware of you know he's they're both like the most gentle kindest intelligent funny warm souls um and I, when I started crying I just held my hand and oh. I, are you okay and there was part of me was like my kids shouldn't be seeing this and then I, I was like yeah I was like do you know what it's fine um and I just said to my I said to my kids you know if, if anybody ever tells you that boys don't cry ignore them yeah if they do 
and if people don't cry it builds and builds and builds and builds and then it causes all sorts of problems yeah. um so yeah i totally relate to the the gender i think there's so many things around gender that we need to dismantle and readdress and challenge and to go back to your original question about men doing that i think that is a big step with how by men kind of changing their relationship to what a man should be um is instrumental in changing attitudes towards how women are treated and mm -hmm. viewed um because it's always through the it's so often through the male lens yeah so many things around that um and i think i, re I really think like we have responsibility and guys, guys struggle with that i feel like we've tended to it's a whole different conversation now but i think guys struggle with that they struggle with challenging men and because you know it's like i saw somebody correct make a blonde joke the other day yeah. and like five years ago i would have laughed at that yeah. and i wouldn't have seen the political thing around it because there is that i've got i've got a very wicked dark sense of humor yeah yeah <laughs> you know and it's like that balance of yeah that used to be funny but you know now I, when you see what it's supporting some stuff yeah it's sort of it becomes a different it's like not so funny anymore but you know I can... it I mean you touched on social you know social media and access to information and I definitely think that you know part of I, I'm 100% with you that things that I would probably have found funny you know x number of years ago mm -hmm. I now almost I mean, there's stuff that I now find offensive, right? Not, not, and it may be nothing that would be offensive to me specifically, but, and I think some of that is because when we may have thought something was funny, we probably had no idea of the potential impact or the impact or how that feels for the, for the, the individual or the community that is the butt of that joke, right? And I think that's one of the roles that social media has played. You know, you look at the, you know, celebrities and, you know, there's been some horrible, story, awful um, stories over the last couple of years. And, you know, Caroline Flack springs to yeah. mind in terms of the experience that she was having and, you know, how that, um, you know, played out. But within, we all can see it, you know, that there is a way that the messages are shared. You see what she was seeing, hearing, experiencing. You know, she put videos out. So we also know how she was feeling as a result of those things. So I think we have just at our fingertips so much more information that we can't protect no nobody's got anywhere to hide in terms of not understanding why some that would offend someone or not understanding why it's not funny absolutely anymore. i completely 100 agree with you and that that again comes down to that's the storytelling stuff that's the mm -hmm. like, i feel like this at the moment i'll put it out there i think there's like there's there's a there's always like you know the yin the yang you know there's always like negative forces that hit that that also have power and you know you need to about like far right stuff and you know political views and things like that but it's the whole point of storytelling being infectious in in a, in a positive way or a negative way i suppose um and people one of the things that i said when facebook first came out and people started using it in twitter 
because my, my whole thing is around my whole career has been around like storytelling mm-hmm. um, and like life stories and stuff people never think about this every time you make a post on facebook or twitter or linkedin um what social media has done has created um billions of diarists people are creating diaries yeah. and they don't realize that they're doing it they don't think of it like that it's like you know they think of them as like brain farts or tweets or this is what i've had for dinner or even reposting a meme it's a diary it's, it's a statement that says i find this funny or i relate to this or yeah. sharing a video you know sharing a political view it's all diaries and i, I love this idea of digital archaeology like in the future like yeah 100 years from now we kind of like delve into archaeologists going to be looking at hard drives and stuff they're not going to be looking in the earth or maybe they'll find the hard drives in the earth and then they'll go from there <laughs> but there's this whole kind of element of diarizing and it's like i really believe storytelling is like the fuel of everything that we do like absolutely everything um and it's it can create amazing change which i think we've been seeing in the last year um because COVID's brought, you know, it's horrendous. Um, I blame myself for it. Like three months before COVID happened, I had all these things I wanted to do. And I said to my missus, like, I just wish the world would go on pause for three months so I could get shit done. <laughs> and then like three months later, it's like, ta-da! Um, <laughs> but like, it's, whilst I think everybody would agree that if you could, un- to, to, to un- you know, if you could take a Disney approach and everybody would still be alive and we could go back in time, um, yeah, everybody would do that and undo do it. But I think from it, amazing changes will come, and we're seeing them now. Like I think people's awareness has like changed so much because of storytelling. Yeah. What what's so I'm interested particularly in your view. Um, I have a bit of a love hate relationship with social media. So, um, you know, there are things. So I have a number of friends who live in Australia and the states, and I love the fact that they're people I don't get to see that regularly, but I definitely feel like I can stay close to them in terms of what's going on through social media. So there are definitely, um, you know, it's it's fabulous because I don't forget birthdays. <laughs> actually, you know, and actually I say happy birthday to people that, you know, oh, prior I probably wouldn't have sent a card because I don't even necessarily know where they live. But I have a bit of a question To your point around in the future, people looking back at how people operated in this time, I think I have a sense that the the social media diaries are actually like complete distortions anyway. You know, it's almost like, you know, it's a highlights reel, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, You know, because, well, highlights and lowlights, what's typically really missing is all the, 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 sort of normal stuff in the middle the BAU right (laughs) um and also I I don't know what your view is if you think about some of the people you know and what you really know of them as a as a human being versus what you see that the persona that they've created on social media and there are times where I look and say that's absolute bullshit (laughs) Yeah, do you, does that make sense? Yeah, do you know, and do you know what? Um, ironically, this goes right to the core of what my PhD work was about, about family photographs, because family photos are intensely ideological. Yeah. Like, how many photos do you see where, like, people are sitting around crying and, you know, all that kind of stuff? I mean, 
there are some, I suppose. It's changed now. Like since I'm talking, my, my PhD was done just on the cusp of digital. Um, yeah. Just before Facebook, before well, as I was writing up Facebook logs, I was like, shit, this could have been a whole different thing. Um, but family photos are all about like ide- idealized moments, um, you know, holidays and parties and smiling. And, you know, yeah. not many people were taking pictures of what they had for dinner um, yeah. with, with their film cameras and stuff like that. Um, but they are very ideological. Like my whole my whole research was around the photos that we have on display and how that represents our symbolism of family, like virtual bodies that are kind of there, but not there. Um, yeah. And like the politics of what happens to photographs when those relationships are changed through death, divorce, fallouts, feuds, whatever. Um, so family family media is intensely ideological. Face Like social media, I think can also be intensely ideological as well. Um, I think it, think one of the things that is interesting is like that there's no filter between there's not really much of a filter between um you know having a feeling and a thought and putting it on facebook yeah and i think it's it all depends on the individual like i know people who very rarely go on there or they'll scroll through and they'll never say anything yeah. i know people who are talking about how they feel and their thoughts and where they are and it's like it's much more of a, a diary i think it's um i think there is, whilst I said at the beginning, like, you know, it is like a diary thing, like, in, I mean, like your traditional diary is much more introspective, it's less, it's less public, it's more private. Yes. Um, and so, yeah, there's going to be a lot more kind of, there might be more reflection and soul searching and stuff like that. I think still people still put that online, um, they can do, but I think, yeah, there is, there's an element of, it's like, I've always been fascinated by this question that, that you've asked because there is that element. Even if you go back down, like look at human beings, yeah. As a species, we like to show off. Yeah. Like, you know, we like to say this we're, we're hunters, we're gatherers, we we like trophies, you know? And the trophies of like coming back with a rabbit or like, you know, a piece of pretty looking rock or <laughs> your enemy's head, whatever it is, you know, whatever your trophy, whatever that primal trophy was, we still have that ingrained in us. You know, we like to, the the classic thing that you see on Facebook is, you know, I've got a new car, I've just bought this, I've got this, I've got that. Look at my house, look at my car. No, I do it. I've got an old fashioned Spitfire, like 1960s Spitfire. I love showcasing that. I saw it the other day. Yeah. And people, people, it makes, that car makes people smile. Mm-hmm. And it's like I like to make people smile. I like to make jokes and you know get people laughing. But I'm also like happy to kind of go deeper and like be vulnerable and stuff like that, all because of the storytelling thing. But I think you know that there's a different. You see, you see like different people using it in different ways, and that's how it should be used. I hear people saying like can't stand like people talking about politics on Facebook. Facebook is at the same time it's intensely political. Yeah. It's intensely about cats. It's intensely about what you had for dinner. It's intensely about the brain fart that you just had about Star Trek the Next Generation or whatever it was. Yeah. It's all of that. And I think in that lies its beauty and its um its frustration. Like I love Facebook, but at the same time, it pisses me off as well. Yeah. And like, you know, during when the pandemic started, I went off it for two months. 
Mm-hmm. And I had people contacting me, say, you still alive? <laughs> you yeah. So I think it's um I think it's literally it's so individual. And we live in the age of the individual now. You know, you go back kind of, you know, post-war, just that post-war period, pre-60s, there was no such thing as a teenager. Mm. There was no such thing as a yeah, there was individuals, but individualism didn't have the same meaning as it does now. No, we, and now it goes even granular. You know, this is where things around gender fluidity open up and stuff like that, and people don't get it. And it's like because it's like this new thing that's emerging, and rightly so. Um, but again, all through social media. Yeah, it's I th- it's a really tough one. I agree with you that you know I have like I said, you know, when we were when we touched on this, it's it's a love-hate relationship yeah. you know so there's there's an, an amazingness about it you know look I I post whenever I go on holiday right um and I don't post when I'm hoovering um so there is a there is a lack of balance in what I post I post you know for my kids birthdays I post I got a puppy I post when I go on holiday so actually it is um, you know, largely capturing highlights or, mo- you know, things to celebrate. Yeah. Um, I think, I guess, that some of the things that have happened over the last year or so is uh, that, that growing awareness of how inadvertently that sharing of um, success, that sharing of achievement actually can impact others. Yeah. Um so people that are struggling actually can be left feeling, well, am I the only one who's struggling? Because everywhere I look, everybody seems to be having an amazing time. And that's where I guess the the kind of uh, there's the, the disconnect, because I know I see people I know post and I go, but you're 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 not actually happy. You know, we had a conversation last week and you talked about, you know, how difficult things are. Yet, you know, the last 10 posts you would to an external observer believe you're living in a you know a utopian um space yeah so i guess that's part of the the chat i don't have the answer yeah i think maybe sometimes that's a mindset thing as well like i've experienced this recently you know like um pre-covid i had a very successful well yeah successful business Mm -hmm. and like it's right on the rocks like so many businesses are and I think we'll be okay but I posted about that the other day yeah. and I was like overwhelmed of like messages and love and support that came through it um and like I wanted to do it in the context of like I felt like I had to make that post in the context of saying to others like I get where you guys might be but also yeah. just trying to encourage people it's like it's the whole feminist argument you know men showing their emotions like do, doing that actively trying to say like this is okay to talk about stuff because it is your tribe your culture your, your your group of people your friends and stuff yeah. um so it's like safe to do that but at the same you know a few hours later I was posting something funny and actually by doing that I was like god there's that thing where I think a lot of people do this where if life's shit somebody's like oh how you doing and it's like and you find yourself telling the story over and over and over again. Yeah. And it's all, and it's not self-victimization. It's storytelling again. Somebody's asked you a question, you you, you answer it. Um, but I found myself like thinking, Jesus, all this is doing is like recycling my anxieties. And, you know, so so now I've like stopped talking about it to every person asks me how I am because <laughs> you say how I is oh I'm like really fucking scared and it's like yeah. I don't know what's going to happen and I know deep down everything's going to be okay but it's like um it's that 
yeah it's like that personal thing of having said what I've been feeling but also I need to up my game and like start focusing on on the positives because there's lots of positives um and it's I think sometimes that's why people you know, when people are posting they, they they want to be doing these positively infused things even though life is hard because it is like that you know it is vis- it's like visualization maybe I don't know it's like a per- like the purpose stuff yeah um otherwise you just end up in a pit of despair or something yeah. 100% yeah. so so what so looking forward and um you know what are your what are your sort of goals aspirations <laughs> um it's a weird one I think firstly just try and ride out these next few months <laughs> see where we go um like th- through through the pandemic so I, th- I think I mentioned earlier on like I used to go out and film people talking about their lives before I pre-business and that, that's always that's like my sole thing yeah. um during the pandemic um so the other thing I do is teach organizations how to shoot video on their smartphones so I've been doing that for years um about eight years um and about five years ago I had this eureka moment with uh I was on a job actually with Lee Jones who works for you guys I had this eureka moment where he's been an amazing support and help inspiration um of pulling those two ideas together so like the importance of why and how you should tell your life story for current and future generations and for the journey but also how people should film how my you know what how people can film this stuff on their camera so I created a course life booth um and got that to a certain point and I spent all of that through the summer do, doing that and like that, that's more of a long play and I I'd kind of dropped it three months ago because I got a bit defeatist about it but even though everybody was saying this is freaking awesome I just kind of like had to pause it a little bit um so I'm that course is like 90% built it's out there it's yeah. uh, at the moment it's free of charge can I plug it of course you can life be, if you go to www.lifebooth.co.uk um and then t- go to sign up and then in the coupon code just type in family 2020 family 2020 or one all one word 2020 being the numbers there's a whole course there and like why and how people should tell their life story that's like where i want to move to 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 make that grow because we're going to be supporting alzheimer's research uk um so we're going to be supporting Alzheimer's research, like with 10% of the profits when it eventually gets sold. I'm writing a book at the moment because I've one of the reasons why it it kind of fell, fell aground because I had some marketing and content lessons from the first time it went out. Mm. Um, so a book's going to kind of drive all that. So it's like everything's like much more about creativity now. Before we were working like dogs all over the country. And it was cool, but I don't want to go back to that anymore. Yeah. I still love that job. I love. I mean, we're working. Before we were working with big corporates and, um, you know, all that kind of stuff. And now we're working with a gym and a tattoo um, studio, and doing like amazingly creative work that we wouldn't get the opportunity to do normally. Um, and that's actually going to inform my work when the world does open up and we do go to corporates again. I'm so like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to. I feel a bit more like in talking about purpose. Taking back to purpose, I feel more like going to the corporates and saying to them just guys stop producing the same corporate dry stuff invest another day another two days and get more from it you know go for the heart even more and stuff 
um so it's all kind of inspiring that so it's yeah it's like the courses that kind of pure life journey message i've been on with life booth around like your life life story is not for the rich and the famous yeah your superstars in your family are you your grandparents your parents your uncles get their stories before it's too late because once it's gone that's when you realize shit i wish i'd taken the time to do it um so i think yeah the future is much more creative um if you'd asked me that question a month ago i would have just said i don't know <laughs> so not feeling yeah. particularly um positive about stuff but yeah. now it's like pulling that energy back up which i think so many people have felt if they especially if they've been on furlough or their businesses have kind of like they've not been working because i was saying to my partner today like we work together what we do in our jobs is a huge part of our identity yeah it's like when that's like for me like we've what we've been working bits and bobs but like our we're not working like we were before with the people and the social contact and this kind of stuff it does pull you down there's that point where you think am i do i feel exhausted because i'm like physically there's something wrong with me or is it just the emotional stuff kind of putting yeah. in the whole thing and so many people are into, in for it together so i think what so many people are going to feel is the world starts to open up again and they're going back into their roles it'd be hard at first and i think that's where kindness and support is needed across all levels of people just understand that people are going to struggle like i've got to go to london i've, I've been not, I've not stayed away from home for over a year um i've got to go to london for five days straight i'm not gonna lie i'm shitting it a little bit you know and it's like and it's like but you know what i know i'll be fine and i might see people who are struggling who might kind of have a bit of a wobble or you know a breakdown in the street or something like that and it's i think there's a, there's a moment coming where the world opens up a bit and like part of our purpose is about more kindness to others and understanding and let that kind of fuel this positive move forward as we kind of emerge from this mess hopefully yeah i think you're right i think the and part, some of that positivity i think um lots of people you know i've been talking to over the last few weeks there just seems to be a little bit of a you know a, a a, a returning buoyancy right and I think some of that is seasonal so I think you know in, in the grips of winter <laughs> and the midst of lockdown tough times right mm -hmm. but I think you know the blue skies we had a few days of you know amazing weather and promise that more is coming I think the path to you know the world opening back up or certainly you know on a local level and shops and pubs and things you know people now have those things very specific things to look forward to but it's interesting you talking about you know that going to London I think there's also a trepidation for some people because you know they're, they're, they've become accustomed and you know acclimated to the to, to, to being at home and, and not really doing much beyond that. Um, mm -hmm. And the thought of suddenly going back to the office or being out in the world on a day-to-day -day basis um, holds its own fear for some people, right? Yeah, for sure. I think, again, that is the point of storytelling and people sharing their experiences. Like I've not been to London for, for over a year. Like we, we would not go, we would be in sometimes once, once, once four times a, a month. Yeah. Um, so you paint this picture of like, oh, it's a city. And like, I, I live in the countryside, so I've literally not been in a city for over a year. Like we were on the road solid before. And then it's like, 
you kind of picture this like COVID's everywhere and stuff. But you go on the COVID map, like there's hardly any cases in London at the moment, long yeah. than you. But also it's just like, then a couple of friends of mine said, do you know what? I've been in and out of London. It's fine. You're going to be safe. Um, which I really appreciated that. And th- th- that's just a micro story. I've been into London. It was fine. You're going to, you're going to be safe. Yeah. Care. That's, yeah. Th- that, that's a story, you know? Yeah. And it's like, I think it helps. I really believe it's like people sharing this stuff. Um, I'm not talking about social media. I'm just, you know, casting a more positive, not unrealistic, but positive view. Mm. I think people are going to need more of that, I think, as they life returns to normal, for sure. So I think um, what I've loved about this, and thank you for inviting me on, is that I was talking earlier on about organisations that um, are making a difference in the world, humanising culture in the workplace and stuff. And I think it's, I've loved that we've been talking about this stuff because having worked with um, your team in various other capacities under various other umbrellas for over six years, like the stuff that you guys do, I've seen the impact of that. I've seen what you guys stand for. I think it's going to be right at the core of enabling companies, organisations, individuals to return, to, to open up a new world, a new normality to to yeah um, so yeah it's like keep on rocking it and doing what you're doing <laughs> i just want to say thank you for joining us mark it's been amazing and um obviously we've had conversations before and you know uh, I, I knew part of your story super interesting and um yeah and thank you for thank you for sharing thank you for having me and good luck with the series because love what you guys do but i love what you're doing here i think you know is the storytelling stuff and stands for everything that you guys do so um keep on smashing it